Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Wednesday, May 13th, and this is your FT News Briefing. IMF Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva tells the FT that the global economic outlook is worse than the fund's already grim predictions. Meanwhile, a $9 billion reinsurance deal struck before the pandemic has collapsed as a result of that economic uncertainty. Plus, the FT's Colby Smith will explain why we could be headed for a messy emerging markets debt crisis. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Last month, the International Monetary Fund forecast a 3% contraction in global output this year. It would be the worst global contraction since the Great Depression of the 1930s. And yesterday, the head of the IMF said the economic outlook is going to get even gloomier. With the crisis still spreading, uh, incoming economic data from many countries is worse than our already pessimistic projection. And unfortunately, not having medical solutions on scale, that means that for some economies, a more adverse uh, development is likely. That was Managing Director Kristalina Georgieva. She spoke with our own Jillian Tett yesterday as part of the FT's Global Boardroom online conference. The fund is expected to publish downward revisions to its global economic forecasts next month. Ms. Georgieva's comments come as many local and national governments in different parts of the world struggle with the challenge of safely easing lockdowns. Meanwhile, in Washington yesterday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, he's a senior member of the White House's Coronavirus Task Force, went before a U.S. Senate committee via video conference with his own warning. Health officials have given states guidelines as to when they could begin to reopen. And Dr. Fauci said he was worried states, cities, and regions might disregard these guidelines in an attempt to get back to normal. I feel if that occurs, there is a real risk that you will trigger an outbreak that you may not be able to control, which in fact, paradoxically, will set you back, not only leading to some suffering and death that could be avoided, but could even set you back on the road to trying to get economic recovery. He also warned of the possibility of a second wave of cases later in the year. U.S. stocks dropped on Tuesday following Dr. Fauci's virtual appearance. The S&P 500 closed down 2.1%, and the Nasdaq fell at the same rate, ending a six-day winning streak. Coronavirus has created an interesting environment for deal activity. On one hand, a few big transactions have been agreed since the pandemic. Just yesterday, it was reported that Uber Eats was eyeing a takeover of rival Grubhub. If such a deal were struck, it would create the largest meal delivery company in the U.S. But deteriorating economic conditions have also triggered the collapse of a wave of deals agreed before the outbreak. Take the private French insurance company Covea and its planned $9 billion acquisition of Bermuda-based reinsurance company Partner Re. In early March, Covea agreed to buy the reinsurer from Italian holding company Exor. Just a few months later, that deal has fallen apart. The FT's corporate finance and deals editor, Arash Masudi, has more. As we reported yesterday, in the last few days, Covea, paying attention to the current market environment, began to wonder if it was overpaying for Partner Re. After all, Exor had bought it for $6.9 billion in 2016, and they were willing to pay $9 billion to buy it pre-coronavirus. But in the new landscape, Covea approached Exor 
to see if it could negotiate a lower price. And this was taken with great offense by the folks at Exor. Mutually, you know, divisive statements that came out in response to the news yesterday. Covea said it did not intend to go ahead with the deal on terms originally envisaged, and it wanted a new price. Exor said there was a positive outlook for partnery, and there was no reason to change the price. So what you're about to see most likely is a legal challenge over the rights of Covea to walk away and whether Exor will sue it for this action, because now Exor is left with this asset on its hands. Now, what's interesting here is the reinsurance industry is actually supposed to shoulder much of the burden from the COVID-19 related claims. And there's huge forecasts that the insurance industry writ large could end up paying out more than $100 billion because of the outbreak. And if you're holding assets in the insurance business, that's obviously not good news if uh, your assets are potentially going to be paying out huge claims to people with insurance policies. So this is quite a twist in what, what appeared to be, at least at the start of March, an incredibly good deal for Exor to make a huge amount of money off an investment in just three to four years, and now joins the wreckage of companies and deals that have fallen apart as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. That list touches everything from the owner of Victoria's Secrets, L Brands, which saw its deal with Sycamore Partners fall apart. And in the US, the merger between two Boeing suppliers uh, as another example of a big deal that had fallen apart. And now a look at a battle brewing in emerging markets. Take Argentina. A fight between the country and its private creditors is set to go down to the wire. The country is trying to convince enough investors to get on board with a plan to restructure $65 billion of debt. A self-imposed deadline came and went last week and has now been extended until next Friday. And while Argentina's debt issues originated long before the coronavirus, it's on the verge of its ninth sovereign debt default, it's far from the only country facing sovereign debt issues right now. Zambia, Ecuador, and Rwanda have all announced they're struggling to repay their debts. Emerging markets as a whole owe an astounding $71 trillion. And now a debt crisis is looming for these developing countries, a crisis that could be much tougher to resolve than what we've seen before. Here's the FT's Colby Smith. The most relevant parallel to the current situation we have at the moment is back in the 1980s um, when there were these uh, when there was the broad uh, Latin American debt crisis. It did involve some other developing economies as well. In that situation, we saw a raft of countries unable to service their debts. But the big difference there was that the biggest holders of those obligations were banks and other governors. And this time around, we have a different creditor base, which makes the current situation a bit more challenging. And of course, this looming debt crisis is also different in the fact that, you know, there's this pandemic happening right now. So Colby, you've talked about the creditors from that debt crisis in the 80s. Who are the creditors this time around? And why does that matter? The thing is, is that in these negotiations, it often is a matter of where the two sides can come to some form of a compromise. And back in the day, there were just fewer players involved with the various banks. What we're seeing today is a different set of creditors at the moment. And some have learned from other more aggressive bondholders that have been criticized and called vulture funds, which are those who seek to profit from government debt crises through legal threats or, or holding out, i.e. not 
participating in certain debt restructurings. And so what we have seen is a few examples of firms like Fidelity, Ashmore, which are big institutional investors, thinking a bit more aggressively about how to ensure that they're getting the best deal for their clients. And now this has involved amassing blocking stakes, which is a stake large enough to block any deal from getting passed or just negotiating a bit more aggressively than they have in the past. So it sounds like the investors have a lot of power when it comes to negotiating any restructuring deals But the countries also have some bargaining power, given that these debt issues are coming during a pandemic. Well, a lot of people are entering these negotiations at a time when their capacity to repay their debts is just dramatically lower. And oftentimes what sparks protracted uh, disputes with creditors is if it seems as though the country has a capacity to pay, but doesn't have a willingness to do so. And now that kind of part of the equation is a bit more clear cut. It's just more and more obvious in a lot of these places that the country simply can't pay. So in that regard, it might be a little bit easier than for countries to take a firmer stance and point to their crashing economy or dismal growth outlook and say, this is the best that we can do at the moment. And in the same vein, you have the IMF joining forces with other multilateral institutions to back these initiatives for debt standstills, so to to postpone debt payments for some of these countries for some time. And so the thinking is that the IMF will perhaps drive a harder bargain and encourage in governments to extract more concessions from creditors. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. From a local business to a global corporation. Partnering with Bank of America gives your operation access to exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Visit bankofamerica.com slash banking for business to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.